Welcome to Australian Design Radio, to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Matt Leach, and I'm here in London with Denise Chippendale. Hi. How are you? I'm great. It's nice to see you after all these years. I know. How long has it been? Been three or four years, I would say. That's all, a bit scary, isn't all it? All back into tractor days. Back into tractor days. Yeah. So, what are you doing in London? Yeah, so I moved here last year for work. So, now I'm brand and marketing manager here at General Assembly, which is exciting. So, yeah. So, we're sitting in General Assembly yep. and you gave me a bit of a walk around. It is massive. It is huge. I'm in the, the big league now. I know. <laughs> we're just, I mean, I always was really impressed with what they were doing in Australia. But yeah. Uh, it, this feels like in a whole another level. Yeah, it's exciting. It's really elevated where I'm going with my career and it's just great to see the community here in London. Yeah, thrive. So talking about the community, because you're, you're doing like a whole raft of different things over here as well. I yeah. mean, GA is your day job. Yep, this is my home. You've also got Design Kids. Yeah, so I'm back. So yeah, I was running the Design Kids actually thankfully through you. So you and Flynn really inspired me to get into the Design Kids back in Sydney and then ran that for three years and then decided to take a break, needed to get the energy levels back up. And then when I moved over, decided to get back into it. So here I am heading up the chapter here. I mean, it's a good avenue, a good vehicle to kind of discover everyone out there. Exactly. So I didn't really know that many people when I moved here. So it was a perfect opportunity for me to discover the students and the juniors and then bridging that gap with the creative industry and getting, getting in front of the big players here. Have they been really accepting? Yeah. Or or are are you an Aussie? I'm always an Aussie. They're like another one. I can't escape it. And I, every every second person I meet is Australian. So, yeah, I think they are accepting. Uh, I'm looking forward to it growing and expanding over the next few years, which is which is fun. So it's brilliant to have you here as a co-host. But before we introduce our guest, I wanted to give a shout out to Streamtime, who's a major supporter of ADR and everything we do. Streamtime is a creative project management software that's I guess that's the elevator pitch, but in fact, they do a lot more for the creative industries. One of the things I get a lot out of is the online seminars they do on all sorts of topics from invoicing and billing to even keeping your mental health in a good place, which we know this industry needs. And they also have a great blog and incredibly transparent about everything they do. So there's a really good piece up by Andy at the moment, which is all about sort of um, bringing a global team together once a year. Do you have that in GA? Not really, but I'd love to. I'm going to definitely implement that. (laughs) So if you haven't tried them out, try them out. It's uh, streamtime.net. So who have we got here with us? Um, So we are really lucky to be joined by Mark Stott, creative guru, thought leader, powerhouse. Bless you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you've come in here with a wealth of experience over 25 years. You've gone through New York, London, Sydney, and you're back here in London, which is exciting. I'm back here in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, actually. And you're back here on the show because episode four, we had you. That's right. All those moons ago. Yeah, yeah. When I was going rebranding TEDx. Two, three, four years ago. Let's just give the background a little bit because how this has come about is you obviously left Australia. Um, quite quickly as well because I, I remember I just reached out to you and you were like oh see ya <laughs> yeah yeah I did <clears throat> I did it kind of came about at a time where so I had uh, a common for uh, which is my small agency for I think about 10 or 15 years um, and um, with the tech industry the way it was and the kind of uh, essentially working in dog years as opposed to normal years so it was just going faster and faster and faster I think agencies like Common, which didn't really have the infrastructure to be able to kind of get on board this um, this speedboat, would have without without me 
kind of stepping outside and trying to gain some knowledge from elsewhere would have um, um, been left in the wake. So um, I got an email from uh, an old client who was a doctor of stress who'd kind of created this, this whole new um, <coughs> way of uh, measuring stress through wearables uh, that had been certified, you know, Yale and Harvard uh, validate certified. I really like the idea that you were a bit stressed. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. You weren't keeping up. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think the stress is going away since I've got here. But, um, so I got an email from him just literally saying, uh, come on board, you're the only designer we want to work with, even though I didn't have any experience really in the tech industry in terms of UI and UX. But, and it just came about at a time where I think I needed to learn something else. Um, and I had a young family and you know, had the means to be able to, who, you know, kids weren't at school, blah, blah, blah. So um, had the means to be able to kind of up and come back home uh, for a couple of years to, to learn, essentially. And so there's Whilst a being paid a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, that always helps. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of things there, like, I mean, I mean, must have felt great to sort of be singled out as the one they wanted to work with. Yes, it was great. It was also scary because I was being singled out uh, in an industry that I didn't know a huge amount about. I know, I, you know, I know a lot about design uh, and visual culture, but I don't know, uh, you know, I'd never really spoken to data scientists or, or, or devs and in, in the way that I'd speak to them now. And it's a different language, as you well know. Yeah. Because, Chip, you've kind of moved more into the tech sphere as exactly, well, Exactly, yeah. So it's quite a scary and daunting experience going in, walking in not knowing, but also the thrill of it's quite exciting. So. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's like learning a whole new... I know it's like learning a new language in mm. terms of, in terms of uh, you know, zeros and ones and codes and blah, 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 but it's, it's actually a new language speaking to human beings who have been brought up in the way these guys have been brought up. There are different species of people than so creatives. You're, you're talking about the devs there. I'm talking about anyone else who's involved in this <laughs> industry, <laughs> apart from creatives. Because I imagine there, there must be similarities, but then it, it's an evolving and a very new language, if we're going to call it language, it's yeah. a very new language, so it's evolving constantly as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine even the devs are trying to keep up with where it's going. And the first things I really needed to learn was, was the idea of completion and and lack of it right because i'm used to obviously kind of you know getting, getting a brief creating a solution visualizing that solution getting it out there it lives in the ether it does its thing and then you go on to new things working with a product and it never finishes it constantly tweaks it constantly tweaks um i always remember us two talking about this idea of you can either spend a long time in the garage building the car or you can get the skateboard out and start riding straight away. So is it a little bit like that kind of thing? It is. It is. The thing I think as a designer you need to, um, you need to kind of put in your pocket and, and, and hide away is the idea, of, uh, the idea of something being out there that you're not happy with. Right. Um, you're constantly, you're, like at the moment, I'm about eight months ahead of any dev. So anything that's out there as a product is obsolete to me now because I've kind of reiterated and re restructured it months and months and months ago. Right, okay. So you're never, anything that's, as a designer, when you, you kind of, you, you do something, you put something on print, you put it up in a, you know, on a, on a skyline and it's there and it's, and it's how you wanted it to be and everything's great. With this, it's never how you want it to be because it's already obsolete. 
Even when you're talking just for the audience at home, like you're touching your heart yeah. a lot. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like a bit sentimental here. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard journey to come down. It really is. This surely might, I mean, in speaking in the defense of the, de- the devs, Your Honor, um, <laughs> there's, it feels like that um, getting something out there must also have benefits. Like, you know, the, the sort of data you can get back quickly. It's the way it has to be, and it does have a huge amount of benefits. You need to know whether something's being accepted or it's working or, you know, it's not just, it's, whereas I've always been kind of, you know, an advocate of the aesthetic side of things or the, or the story, this thing has to work. So your audience aren't, that you have to understand that they're not as aesthetically aware and they don't necessarily care aesthetically about this thing. They just want to know how to get there as quickly as possible without any major hiccups. Is this um, function winning over form? It is function winning over form, and it, it has to, because I, I guess function, especially in terms of data, in terms of what I've been doing, which is, which is a really heavy, heavy, you know, heavily data-driven app, there's no point in it looking beautiful or form if the data's not doing the right thing, if it's not saying the right thing. So... You know, you reiterate and you reiterate and re- you reiterate, but essentially you're visualizing something that changes all the time because it's, it's constantly growing or they're constantly yep. getting more information in and more users, more data, more accuracy, which means that you have to kind of work for that as opposed to it working for your kind of beautiful aesthetic dream. Mm. As you were talking there, I was starting to think it sounds a little bit like we're, we're stepping back where design's just being brought in at the end to make things look pretty. But it's not necessarily that, is it? You work alongside to just to make sure that this whole thing, form and function, work together. There are just so many iterative stages to this that, as you design something the way you want it to look, it may change in the process. And that's because of the data coming in, the feedback you're getting. That's because of the data coming in. That's because the tech is changing. Right. That's because the groundwork is constantly shifting, or the ground is constantly shifting. So you have to adapt. Chip, how, do you, how have you found that? Because yeah. I I think mean, it's I a new area for you as well. Yeah, I think uh, we have a saying here at GA, which is always bringing data to the conversation. So it's something that we always are looking at. So we could design something or looking at our brand, um, but if we're not looking at the data as well, it doesn't go hand in hand. So we're always considering that. And then especially with the tech, like curriculum, our curriculum changes all the time. So we have to keep up to date, which is quite a scary thought. We're always, we're trained designers and then now going into the tech space, it's a whole new playing field. It really is. I think that's the hardest thing about education in in any sense or form. It's the amount of changes that are happening. And, you know, education, unfortunately, is normally slightly behind. um, And trying to get people ready five years ahead of the the future. And it's just... it, it. it feels like this kind of tension point that that's always been there potentially because like sure. if you speak to some old professors they've always they'll always talk about tech maybe mm-hmm. slightly different tech but yeah it's always moved too quickly for education yeah i think we've been quite lucky you and i being in that space where we've been able to work with companies that are quite agile mm. in the way we present the education and how we um, portray that so but it does feel like there's so much going on as well that you have to pick your horse. Yeah, you pick your battles. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, I, I will follow that. Yeah. And hopefully it turns out that everyone else follows that. Exactly. As well. <laughs> Before it changes. Yeah. <laughs> Another big change for you, though, Mark, is I mean, you went from 15 years of running your own show to working for someone. Yeah, I did. I did. And it was a difficult 
decision to make, even though it was a very quick decision. It was one where I'd, I was always going to, I was always coming to check this out with a view to going back once I'd checked it out. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the kind of mindset I had when I was when I was making the change, or else I probably wouldn't have done it. Like you know, I guess I'd I'd been doing what I'd been doing for such a long time that it was if I'd have made such a shift, such a dramatic shift, and meant it, it would have really scared me. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of play, I played inside my head a little bit in terms of this just being a, just a learning curve, a really simple learning curve, or just a holiday, mm. essentially. Maybe not so simple. But Maybe not yeah. so simple, yeah. A really, a really difficult relaxing. holiday. Because yeah. <laughs> essentially, you, you're, you're going from running a design agency where you get you know, five or 10 briefs a month in, uh, for different clients, for different purposes and different um, different uh, outcomes to working in-house for somebody who is essentially not in the design space in any way. Yeah, it was a shift of mindset. It was something that I, just, I remember speaking to you mm. in Australia before I'd come and I thought it'd be a really nice kind of change. But again, I think that was me playing mind games with myself to be able to <laughs> actually make the shift. Talking um, yourself into it. Yeah, and since then it's been, I've found it, I, I've, I mean, it's been insanely amazing to, to, to be part of this journey and to learn what I've learned in terms of the tech industry and branding within that. But I've, yeah, I've often kind of, desperately wanted a brief to kind of sit on the table where it was, uh, you know, it was outside the realm of, of what I was doing. Uh, I, missed, I missed the versatility of a design agency. So can you tell us more about the, the product? Yeah, sure. What it is? Sure. So it's um, basically it's an app that bases itself on uh, reading wearable data. So um, at the moment we kind of use the SDK of the Garmin. Uh, it reads your vitals. It creates uh, a, a, st a stress, um, an intensity score that reads how you are. And there's very clever algorithms to spit out interventions uh, and decompressions uh, that will help you relax smarter during your day. Are you wearing it now? I'm wearing it now. I'm wearing it now. How's it's your stress level? My stress level is pretty high at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking offence to that. Yeah, <laughs> my stress, but my stress level is quite high, regardless. To be honest, I don't know why, because I'm quite a relaxed guy. But you, you wait um, till you see the questions that Denise has got ready for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're in the hot seat, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really, it's, it's intensely clever. It's intensely clever because it reads you and you personally uh, read your baseline some some my levels of stress and my levels of intensity based on and what it tells me I need to do to to, to relax better it will be very different to yours and very different to Denise's and very different to anyone else's because it creates this kind of it's got a beautiful algorithm that creates your baseline mm. based on how your body works it's incredibly clever yeah. and it's things like and like it, it, the beauty of how this can then kind of get out there into the ether is 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 insane. Like think, you know things like if you partner up with if you partner up with Netflix, basically this thing can read you during the day, work out your day, work out how you've been, mm. get back home. Romantic comedy. Exactly. <laughs> I love a good rom-com. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it can you know you can your whole kind of world and your old ether can start to read you as a person and react to that. It Which is, is really, it's an unbelievable place to be. It's what, every, what we've hoped Quantified Self is all about, mm. really. 
It's. I mean, it's also got that nice thing of the intervention thing you mentioned as well. So yeah, it, it knows that you're off off your normal base, and exactly. so you can, can sort of say, "Hey," which is sometimes all you need to kind of yeah. Take I mean, that it's it, it's yeah. the it's the first of its kind in terms of how that works, mm. and it separates the idea of now, which is you know I'm showing a screen at the moment, so I know that's not very good, not very good at all on radio. To um, looks great. Yeah, <laughs> to your deep rooted stress, which is you know your long term chronic stress. Right, which I imagine is the real problem. Which is a real problem. So you, it's kind of the look after the pennies and the pounds and look after themselves. Look after now and your deep rooted stress will start to chip away at something. Yeah. So it's a very interesting product. Incredibly interesting. So what's it actually called? So it's called Felix. And where did that come from? Well, that was, um, um, it's, it's, it's based on, it came from, it's, it's Latin for happy. So it's very it's a very simple kind of oh, reasoning. That makes, that's makes amazing. Yeah, sense. yeah, yeah. It's Latin for happy. So that's where the name came from. And essentially, this whole product is about de-stressing, um, decompressing, and creating a more relaxing, happy life. I love the fact that as we've been talking about this, there's been multiple ambulances going. <laughs> no, I was looking at you, going, "Oh gosh." Well, now I'm walking out of this episode knowing Latin. So yes, that's great. There we go. I told you to learn something. <laughs> yeah, there we go. You weren't kidding. So, and you've built the whole brand around this. Yeah. And, and the look and feel and, and everything that comes with it. Yeah, everything. They had a name, and they had they had some validation from Harvard and Yale. We've created the user journey in terms of how people read stress, which is a really interesting place to be. The whole kind of brand aesthetics, the whole brand, the tone of voice, the, the visual language, everything. You mentioned how people read stress. What, what do you mean by that? Well, stress is, uh, stress is it's a very difficult thing to visualize and to quantify because everybody, stress means so many different things to so many different people and it's, and it's based on so many different variables within life. And imagine just putting it on a graph is probably pretty stressful for yeah, some people anyway. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's anything from, it's any, anything from you know, you, you're, you really are looking into the idea of what colour theory and how, how different colours can stress different people out. Yep. Size, structure, tone, the whole... Alerts even... Alerts in terms, yeah, yeah. If somebody tells you, yeah, so the the language behind alerts. So don't tell me I'm stressed when I'm stressed. (laughs) Possibly give me a a little bit of a a pointer as to to how to relax. So, so so, you know, I've worked with some brilliant writers over here just in terms of how to, uh, how to work with the language of this app. So it doesn't, it works well with the subject matter. It's a very, very difficult subject matter. I've done thousands and thousands of designs in the last two years. Right. That sounds quite stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But it also sounds in your wheelhouse like an area that you would really love to be. Yeah, to, it is. To deep it dive is. so much on. And you do. You really do deep dive. And, uh, and, you know, the idea of, because essentially the outcome of this has to be so simple. Which is always the hardest thing. To yeah. <laughs> but what goes into it is 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 you know, it's years and years of intense research on, on kind of behavioural science. Mm. But it's so rewarding when you, when you get something out there that, that feels beautiful. You've needed to take on that, but you've also needed to take on the kind of tech side of thing and working with devs and, and kind of Exactly, what? exactly. I went into the first meeting I went into a year and a half ago. I walked out of that meeting, said directly to the doctor, who is essentially the, the founder of this whole thing, I was, nah. It's not me. I have no idea what anyone said in that meeting. <laughs> I have no idea of what anything meant at all. And he was like, 
you know what, mate? That's exactly why you're here. Don't worry about it. They have no idea when you start talking about branding, you start talking about design, you start talking about emotion and empathy through color and tone and typography. And he said, it's, it's okay. You're exactly where you need to be right now. Yeah. Let them worry about it. Going back, you said that you looked at this opportunity to sort of future-proof and expand your skill sets. How have you gone about that? So you've learned on the job, obviously. Um, how big's your team? And yeah, talk us through that stage. So in terms of future-proofing, this was part of a discipline in design and, uh, and in the creative industry that I needed to know uh, something about. And I had no way of being able to do that, I don't think, with Common and the, the infrastructure that had in Australia or lack of infrastructure in the digital and tech world. Um, this was an opportunity where I had somebody who trusted who I was and what I know in terms of branding and design and, and, um, and visual language um, and was willing to pay me to come over and learn what they knew. So it was a really, it was, it was, a, it was a very good synergy in terms, of, in terms of everybody kind of got what they wanted out of the relationship. Um, it, was a, so it was a really early startup and a really early kind of, they had no visual language at all. They had no brand. So in terms of being able to get a product out, there was quite a long runway for me to learn. Yeah. So I had time. Um, I had to delve in. I asked. The only way to learn in this industry is to ask questions. Yeah. So I asked a huge amount of questions. And I sat there and I learned. Um, and it's been incredible. It's been, inter it's been so interesting. And maybe it's something now I can take you know, take back to Australia and, and have as part of the arsenal, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly kind of, I didn't, you know, after 25 years of being in, in the industry, it's hard to think that you're going to learn, I mean, you're always learning, but learn yeah. something. Yeah, completely. But, completely, yeah, but, um, but I have. <laughs> <laughs> with, um, so tech startups is, is something that I would normally associate with San Francisco, for example. Yeah. But we were talking just before mm -hmm. we started, and you, and you said it's really happening here yeah. in a big way. So yeah, especially in London. So right. it, last year, I think it was a, a 2.45 billion pounds were invested in startups and small-scale startups, which is incredible. So And we do engage with a lot of them here in London, and it's just growing so fast because we're pretty much so close to Europe. We are part of Europe, apart from Brexit, but let's not get into that. <laughs> stay, stay I've been stay told clear. by everyone that you just don't talk about it. Yeah, we don't talk about it, even no. though we can't escape it. <laughs> it's yeah. the B word. <laughs> you know, I was speaking to Pip Jamison, and she was saying that she did all this research on uh, kind of where the most creators were, mm -hmm. and it was London. Yeah. So I think, you know, the fact that the tech world is really kicking off and you've got the most creatives in one place is pretty exciting. Yeah, it's pretty incredible to see. And then a lot of startups that we work with really work on a world global scale. So they're employing creatives in Australia and in APAC, um, which is great to see that technology allows us to communicate and yeah, yeah. complete things. I mean, the idea of me, me coming back in, you know, in the next few months is, which is something that I'm really, really thinking about doing. They are, Super happy for me to still be working as brand guardian on this. So wow. basically, I've got I've got to a point where, where I'm intrinsically linked with the whole kind of look and feel mm. and um, language, um, and for me to be able to work from there is really easy. Is really, I'm, the time frame's not not so good, so I'm the I'm the one I guess who's going to be uh, up at night. Yeah, yeah. But um, if I'm willing to do that, they have no issues at all with me kind of staying on board as brand guardian for this. 
we used to look at it as being like a major asset. Like, you know, that means we can, 24 hours, we can be yeah. working on something. And then we realised that, no, no, it doesn't, <laughs> it no doesn't deal. work. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, we still haven't quite cracked that. But, I mean, that's amazing. So, we, so where are we, where are you, or where is the product at right now? So the product's at MVP now. It's gone out there on a few pilots, a few quite big pilots um, with uh, a few banks that I can't really mention. Uh, it's working really well. Um, it's got a good user base, so we're getting a lot of data th- through from that. It's being recognized by uh, big players in San Fran at the moment. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, got a, it's got a lot of traction. But it's still at MVP. It's still, I mean, it's nowhere near where I want it to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it ever will be. <laughs> so, um, it, it is the next? I mean, is the next step looking? I mean, is it another investing kind of round or? Yeah, it's always it's always either investments or acquisitions, right? And actually, you kind of teeter on that edge, which is, you know, I mean, it's it's there's a there's a golden carrot in this industry where you know you're you're kind of you're you're very close to making it very very far away from being. From making it as well, yeah, yeah. you know, you're you're kind of you're teetering around the edge of, and it's generally with someone else's money as well, yeah, um, which is stressful in its which own, which is way. stressful yeah. in itself. That's where we are, and I think that's where we sit. Is there a make it or break it point when you go? This is just not being picked up, or I mean, is there, is there deadlines that you? I mean, I guess you've got deadlines from investors. You have deadlines from investors, and you have yeah, you have incentives that you have to get to, but but essentially, especially when you're working with data. The timelines are so so blurry. It's kind of you, you talk to a data scientist about when he's going to crack this, <laughs> and you're not going to get the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's week by week. It's you know, in terms of design, I've I've I guess I found it frustrating that the data and the devs are always behind the designers. And can and can make a, a huge impact in terms of what you're designing as well. So the amount of, you know, I've got a I've got a bottom drawer that's as big as a as <laughs> as big as a tower building, <laughs> of things that, to me, really worked until they didn't. Yeah. Um. So again, that's an, that's a huge learning curve as well. Um. Yeah. So a couple of times you've made hints at possibly coming back to Australia. I've kind of let them go. I think now it's time we need to. What, yeah. what do you mean by that? I think I miss multiple briefs from, from variable clients. I, I've really enjoyed getting my teeth into this, and I love it uh, in terms of trying to perfect one thing over a long period of time. Mm. I've never worked in a, you know, in a wall fallings or a, or, a, or a pentagram where you, you know, there's a huge client, a, a huge client where you, you know, you can essentially work on the same client for a year or yeah. even have never done keep, that. Keep I, returning to it. And yeah, I've always worked in, uh, you know, it's smaller agencies where it's, it's, you know, your kind of longest brief is probably a month. Although well, Ministry of Sound was. It was, but you it was, but it was kind of, you were returning to a blank canvas every time. Right. As opposed to creating a brand that you just build and build and build. I don't want to let this go by any stretch. I've got too much of a vested interest in it, but I, I, miss, I miss variable briefs, variable markets, variable solutions. Mm. And so why Australia? I mean, you've just had your second child. Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, a bit long in the tooth for it, but... <laughs> why Australia? I love Australia. That's why. Mm-hmm. Australia is uh, 
home to me. I, you know, I, I, I spent 20 years there. And as much as coming back to London is a, is a beautiful thing, because you get to, you know, get to just tread the old stomping grounds and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think with a second child, it's probably a nicer place to be mm-hmm. than Europe right now. Um, it is funny that I've spent the last week in Bristol, which is my old stomping ground, and I've been trying to explain it to people that everything's the same, but everything's different. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's, it, and the only way I can explain it is it's, it doesn't have me in it anymore. Mm. Yeah, right. Yeah. I've, defi- I've definitely changed since I was mm. last here. Um, you know, the idea of what London offers, which is everything, uh, dwindles down to next to nothing when you've got two, two kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so essentially, you're spending a huge amount of money living mm. in central London going nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> That, you know, that those blue waters of Bondi kind of, they, they become really appealing. Yeah. Instagram's destroyed the idea of me living here for a long time. I've got too many friends who just post yeah. <laughs> icebergs and Tamarama and yeah, they are. It's like, I can't let go. I can't, yeah. yeah. That's quite weird because I'm on the opposite. So really? I, Talk about I that. Came, I went back, to, back home to Sydney and yeah, everything was the same. But I was different. Yeah. I was itching to come back. So I've, I've only been here a year, but... For me, London, I've still got that the fresh eye look and the You're opportunities here. You're still young. Here. <laughs> You're still <laughs> oh, young. Stop. <laughs> I guess, maybe, but yeah, who knows what the future will hold, but, and then maybe I'll, I'll be back one day. So we'll comparing see. it to, you know, what you do with the yeah. industry and the communities yeah. and all that kind of stuff, how is it, how is it different? Like what's, what's the major things that you've really I, noticed? I think there's a lot of similarities, but the biggest thing is that it's just bigger mm-hmm. there's just so many creative clusters around london and weirdly enough i thought commuting in sydney that was just the norm but compared to here where everyone sort of stays in their bubbles so if you're in east london which is where we are now you remain east it's quite weird so really? if you're trying to attract creatives in the west it's like pulling teeth which is ridiculous That's whereas so weird. in sydney or melbourne uh, each suburb people would commute to go to a meetup or an event Whereas here, uh, yeah, it's another another thing. See, that seems nuts to me because yeah. from an outsider's point of view, there's so many opportunities for transport over here. Oh. And it seems like it's really easy to get from one side to the other. It really is. But locals here complain about two-minute waits, three-minute waits on the tube. Right. And I'm loving it. And then when I went back home in December... I was waiting like 10, 15 minutes for the train. I was like, oh, yeah, I was red in the face. I was like, (laughs) what is this? (laughs) One of the other things that occurs to me is obviously in Australia is we we watch trends. Mm -hmm. So we watch what's happening in America and watch what's happening in in the UK. Is that harder over here because, because it is happening here? Yeah, I think so. There's the common trends that I've seen back in Sydney where digital is now becoming king and you are seeing agencies sort of running to upskill their their teams or struggling to keep up with the demand. Uh, But also, I think on a curriculum and education side, we're seeing a lot of UX used to be the big player, and now it's more in the data. So data analytics, data science, that's a big thing. So I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes in the next few years, especially with like apps looking at the algorithms. Like There are just so many opportunities for people to get involved in that space. And is that such an easy, um, and Mark, you can probably answer this as well, but is, is it an easy design to UX was a bridge? There was a bridge mm-hmm. there because there were similarities and even the, even the process is kind of similar. Yeah. Is, is there such a bridge from design to data analytics? Oh, 
That's a tricky one. I think it's a lot harder for people that are in design or creative. They've got a different mindset. So getting going into the numbers world and algorithms, it's a scary thought. So I think we have to do a lot more to bridge that gap in how we think. Mm. But I think it's going to be more occurring over time. People need to get more in that headspace mm. rather than be looking at that creative side. Yeah. I think I, the one thing I found really fascinating is it's not necessarily me bridging that gap between design data. But like I was saying before, it's the, you, you're, the way you think and the way a data scientist think, you could be two different species. Right. Yeah. You really could. <laughs> Creating the synergy between those two things and, uh, and building something that's meaningful and useful is really, really interesting because you're, you know, you're talking, you're trying, to, you're trying to build two different ways of thinking into one outcome. Mm. And that's what I found really interesting. And they're just they're, they're, they're fascinating people. The way they think is fascinating mm. because it's not the way I think. And I'm sure they kind of find me either annoying or fascinating. I don't really know what they think. <laughs> but, but but you know, I'm not I'm not I'm I'm not I'm not the kind of person they generally hang out with. So uh, it, so it's way. not. Uh, I guess as, as you guys were talking, I was thinking: is, is it are we looking at a future kind of advertising model where you have a copywriter and an art director? So mm -hmm. you have a designer and a and a data analyst. Yeah. But it, it's probably not, is it? Because they're too far. I think they need to work hand in hand. Yeah, for sure. They need to work hand in hand. I mean, you, you know. But it's not going to be pub lunches where you crack the idea. Well, they're in I pub lunches. Uh, are pub lunches are a thing here, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't fight it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's more about learning how to talk to each other, like conversation. That's exactly yeah. It. yeah. Mm. So working on how you communicate is is key, really. So less about turning the designer into a data analyst and more about building that communication bridge. I genuinely don't believe you could do that. No, right. I think right. it's too far. I think we've spoken about this to students in the past is you don't have to master everything. Like you, you can be knowledgeable in one area. So I don't think designers need to rush off and start learning how to code and but have that deeper understanding is important i think i think it's i think it's about asking questions and trying to understand mm. solutions together that's that's it you can't there's absolutely no chance a designer will create the the right solution if he doesn't ask the right questions and i know you know i've been i've been very insular in terms of um in terms of the way i've worked in the past that's one thing i've cracked since i've been here doing this because you you just can't you can't go away and create your own solution you have to Ask, 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 understand, ask. Yeah. Chip away, chip away, chip away. It's an interesting thing that we talk about that you can be specialist because I mm. think, you know, from what I've seen in, in, in the industry, we seem to go through where we're looking for generalists mm -hmm. who can do a bit of everything. And yeah. that's why all those courses started, like, you know, yeah. code in 10 weeks or yeah. code in <laughs> two weeks or code in a day, you know, that kind of, all, the, all that kind of stuff. And then everyone felt like they had the code. Yes. And it does feel like we're coming back to a specialist area again yeah. where, where you're allowed to, you know, spend 12 hours working on the letter E, you know, these other areas. So what, what, what roles can you see there coming out in the future where people will specialise coming from a design background? So I got brought in um, to this company by, by, you know, by one guy as a, as a brand specialist and um, as a, as a, to create a visual language and a tone of voice. And I got brought in very, very early in the process. So there were, there was internal confusion as to why I was there for at least six months. 
<laughs> Who is that guy? Yeah. yeah. What's yeah. his name? Mike? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But purely, purely because they wanted to create an MVP and a product that, that worked before you kind of, you know, sugarcoat what this brand should be or what it's going to be because it's going to change. Yep. As with tech, the whole thing's going to change. Which I think a lot of the guys who are, who are in there, the data scientists, the devs, the producers, pretty much everyone apart from the boss, ha, um, couldn't quite get their head around the benefits of brand values, uh, the benefits of um, a visual language, an internal visual language. Um, but they do now, and I don't know whether I've won that battle, <laughs> just or whether they've just accepted the idea <laughs> that I exist. Just nod when Mark comes by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <clears throat> but I think, I think there's a, I think there's genuinely a place for uh, in kind of internal brand values in a very early startup, to st for nothing else but to create a um, a culture that you can that you can start to build upon. Yeah, which is a, what a lot of people in the tech startup world in San Francisco, for example, are talking about, the importance of culture and, and it's the ones with the culture. I mean, GA has a great culture. From the outside, it looks like a great culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that. But yeah, no, we definitely do. I think I've been quite lucky moving from Sydney to London. The team, there's just such a family aspect and I think I love startups for that. And we had that again at Tractor. Like mm. We were just such a close-knit team due to the fact of the internal culture and the roles as well. Uh, you can mould yourself into what you want to be, especially with a culture that is accepting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a more so I guess that makes perfect sense that the you know building the culture very early on should lead to a better product. Yeah, yeah, and it, especially with with um, this industry as well, where there's a huge amount of remote working, mm. so you don't kind of you you can't build a it, it it's the glue. I guess the, I, I guess the brand values become the glue in terms of what you're doing, whether mm -hmm. you're working from home or whether you're working from you know uh, an office group somewhere or something like that. If you get those brand values or if you get those visual kind of values in there quite early, then there's something to, there's, the, there's this glue to kind of hold everything together, um, especially when the product itself and the, uh, um, is ever-changing. Mm. And it's, it's something I've heard creative directors talk about a lot, the kind of, that if they didn't force the devs to be in at a desk, then the devs would be quite happy working at two till four in the morning and... You know, just that kind of, you know, get the job done, mm. but, but no one would have any idea about what they did or, or, or I guess build those soft skills about how to actually work with them in the first place. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally true. I mean, devs should be able to work in terms of it, the, the time frames they want to work in. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think maybe that's, maybe that's the real importance of, of good brand values or good... Uh, Designers just need to tell devs what Designers, to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Meanwhile, on Australian Developers <laughs> Podcast, <laughs> they say exactly the opposite. There we go. <laughs> Just to sort of finish up, um, so we've got a potential move back to Australia for you. Yeah. So stay tuned. Uh, stay tuned, I'd say. Yeah. It's, I, Common it's, part I may two? I may well be back before this thing starts. <laughs> 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 Who knows? Um, Common part two? N no. No, because I've definitely kind of changed a lot in this last two years, so I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go and do that. But uh, some kind of some kind of new venture, I think, you know, building in this 
the skills that I've just learned uh, into, into what I've been doing before. Has your process changed? I mean, you talked about the, the idea of looking back at the week before. Is that a process that you, you've grown to like? My process would have definitely changed. Not, not. It's a, it's a difficult one. Though. I think it depends on, it depends on the brief. It depends on the client. My process would have changed based on the idea that I will ask more questions. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing for me now. Is, is I've always kind of been quite an insular designer. Uh, so I, you know, which is probably why you know I, I haven't employed a huge amount of people. I've employed a few great people. Um, but I, t- I did. I have. I, I've always tended to need to. Uh, I've always had to keep my eye on everything. I think now I will start to trust in everything else um, and kind of understand that there are, there could be better answers outside of outside of me. Because this is really interesting. Because I think we've talked before about well, common, and you you purposely kept that small because you wanted to be involved in in everything always on the tools yeah and so this is quite a move it is quite it is quite a move it is quite a move it's um i i I think it's a developing creative world and you don't have all the answers and i think that's one thing i've 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 learned over this last uh two years is that i'll definitely be kind of working collaboratively with people who do have better answers than me Mm. um for a better solution and denise Onwards and upwards. Yeah. Taking over all of London, <laughs> all east and west, potentially. Yeah, south, north, <laughs> all the different facets of London. East yeah. is best. It is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you added that one. We'll have to do a, a west version. Yeah. So we <laughs> Venture lose, over. Lose listeners. have to catch the tube. No. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people find out more about what you're doing, Denise? Um, yeah, just follow me on the, the normal social channels uh, and General Assembly. We're doing events every night here. I look forward to expanding in Europe. So hopefully in the next year you'll see me in Paris and Milan and, yeah, who knows where. Wow. wow. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and, Mark, where can people keep up with what you're doing? Um, I'll tell you in about four or five weeks, but, <laughs> but essentially <laughs> right now... Um, my social channel, Common, Common still exists as a, as, a, as a place to kind of get a hold of me. Felix is a place that you can kind of go and have a look at in terms of what we've been doing uh, in the tech industry and, um, yeah, and socially. Right, fantastic. Well, you can find this episode and more at ozdesignradio.com and you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram and SoundCloud at ozdesignradio. Thank you so much, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. So good to see you again. Yeah, same.